Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 67 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is about how to conduct compliance audits. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, two things. First, please rate and comment on our uh, podcast as well as to subscribe. Uh, We're trying to get the word out to the compliance community and make sure that we uh, connect and try to support the profession uh, in uh, the years to come. In the uh, second, I wanted to uh, mention the services that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides. In the ethics and compliance area, we conduct compliance audits and assist companies in providing proactive or reactive compliance audits. We've collaborated with companies large and small in a variety of industries to design, enhance, and implement effective audit programs. If interested in our services in this area, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, today uh, I wanted to turn to the compliance audits because I think it's an interesting area that's growing. Um, let me first start with what I think is the change in the mindset uh, from reactive to proactive. Um, the react the proactive priorities of a compliance program uh, are focused on culture and risk, identifying risk factors, monitoring incidents, reporting and control violations, monitoring your culture, and then intervening uh, in a pro- in a proactive sense before a problem becomes a major problem, uh, and then you intervene and you remediate and prevent and hopefully build. Uh, bigger and better uh, control systems. The reactive type model is, okay, there's misconduct. You respond to it. You investigate it. You find out what the problem was. uh, You do a root cause analysis, and then you remediate as a post-event type of action. What uh, I'm trying to encourage uh, companies and compliance professionals to look into is proactive priorities Um, and thinking in an you know, intervention type sense uh, uh, early in the process. But what about audits? Uh, what is the importance of audits? And obviously, uh, it's a it's an essential element of any compliance program to monitor, audit, test, and conduct periodic evaluations of your compliance program. And uh, it, as part of the evolving process, the evolutionary part of a compliance program uh, and the change that's required in response to market conditions, periodic testing, assessment, and improvement of a compliance program is an essential element. You can go back to the sentencing guidelines, to the FCPA guidance, and as well go to the uh, Justice Department's 2017 Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs uh, to uh, affirm that point or to see that point. The interesting trend that I've seen, though, in uh, compliance programs is that rather than, uh, and these particularly in global programs, rather than uh, relying on internal audit to uh, conduct audits uh, and rather than sort of trying to get on their radar screen, they have enough to do, um, is that compliance programs are now creating their own separate independent unit that's responsible for conducting compliance program reviews. 
independent of the internal audit function. So they will have expertise in their culture and the measuring and monitoring of their cult culture and in their specific controls. And so their focus here, and this is, is important because there's a focus on non-material compliance controls like third-party risks and payments, uh, gifts, meals, and entertainment, uh, any sort of fi financial issues petty cash, let's say, usage, uh, any kind of financial issue that's under the materiality standard and that wouldn't be normally on the radar screen of your financial uh, department. When you look at testing methodologies, remember we have lots of ways to test and, and audit. We have surveys and questionnaires. We have individual interviews. We have transaction testing. These are some of my favorite areas. And focus groups, although they don't actually measure um, you know, in a way that you can have data uh, are really very important uh, tools to use because you, you can get some really good insights from them. I urge everybody to consider those. Um, and your method of testing can be, uh, and testing and sort of auditing can be focused on controls, creation of a like a uh, testing rubric. You can have uh, open-ended questions. You can look at documents and requests and review. These are, I mean, some of the ideas, but there's obviously more. Um, it's important, though, in terms of your audit, when you go to do an audit, and we're going to primarily focus on on-site audits, um, that you choose, a, obviously, a good, uh, an important location based upon risk profile and proactive interests. I don't think it's worthwhile to do proactive audits in the lowest risk uh, areas of your company. I think it's more important to do them in the medium to high risk uh, areas. Um, but you always have to define a time period, and you don't want to go back too far, five years or whatever, but you want to keep it as a discrete time period that's relevant, and you can always look at changes in the business, what happened in this area in the last few years, something like that. Um, and you should always uh, consider you know, whether or not you uh, want to do this yourself, or uh, obviously people hire us to do that. That's something that we do do, uh, which is uh, conducting audits. And you want to also try to make sure you maintain the privilege uh, over the audits to the extent you can uh, with regard to who conducts them. Or if you use an outside firm like ours, obviously we have the, the privilege because we uh, are a law firm. Um, the other thing is that as people are automating more um, and automating their compliance program more, be it third-party due diligence, gifts, meals, entertainment, policy, uh, and their or their hotline service, um, that automation now or those all those areas are generating valuable data. And this provides an important way for you, if it's available in a centralized location, to get certain information um, before you actually go to uh, a location. Um, so this is an emerging area in compliance. And to me, I've spoken about this, there are many audited platforms now for uh, due diligence, screening, continuous monitoring, third-party risk management. Uh, clearance process uh, regarding expenses, uh, including track, tracking of uh, gifts, meals, entertainment, and, and uh, travel, uh, policy management, training, uh, incident tracking. People are using more, um, uh, more tools for that uh, and monitoring, as well as hotline reporting and record keeping. So these are uh, important areas that can generate uh, data. 
I've mentioned some of the ways that you can engage in uh, control-based testing. There's always a value to testing what your whether people are following your policies and procedures, uh, and break down these controls uh, to certain tasks. Uh, in other words, to the extent there are tasks that are incorporated within your uh, a particular control, like let's say third-party due diligence before you onboard a new third party, what are the tasks that have to be completed? And in that sense, you would then um, break down the control and then you would start to look at the controls and um, see uh, you know, whether though each of those tasks are uh, conducted and uh, are actually being complied with. So those are certain things to, to look at. Data also gives you, uh, and the, one of the advantages of a control-based testing uh, and audit is you can get quantitative results. You can utilize a testing rubric over time. Is it consistent? It's objective. You can use it as a measuring stick. Are people uh, making sure that they onboard their new third parties in the proper fashion? So you always, uh, it gives you data. You can measure it and go from there. The other thing in transaction testing that we like to uh, look at is uh, sampling certain transactions, and those are important. Um, And sampling transactions, and we'll get into that in terms of uh, your overall strategy, um, I like to use what I call the the healthcare-focused sampling technique. In other words, set a threshold for testing, and if you have, let's say, a 90% success with, let's say you're going to look at 15 transactions with the minimum number of samples. And if you have a 90% success rate, then you're going to just say, okay, well, that's fine. We're going to stop from there. On the other hand, if your success rate is 85%, then you're going to take more uh, samples and then uh see what your error rate is or success rate is. And once you get it back to 90% uh, success, then you stop. But you keep otherwise taking samples uh, until you get to that area. So uh, in the compliance review, uh, and I've mentioned uh, sampling of transactions, in the compliance review, there are many ways, many areas to look at. One is your culture and your controls. Uh, And you obviously can do transaction testing that can be with regard to your agents, distributors, other policies. You can have a spot check. Uh, Are the contracts that are being done here with regard to spot checks, are they being uh, complied with? In other words, do we have FCPA provisions in there? Do we have uh, sanctions provisions? We can spot check it in that way uh, and check our documentation as to various compliance controls. We can also do a risk assessment and culture survey uh, in terms of a, uh, an audit, and we can look at training compliance. Are people completing the training? Are they getting the training? Uh, what type of results are we getting with regard to that? So the the, the most uh, resource-intensive type of audit is the boots-on-the-ground audit, and that's what we're going to be talking about mainly today. And uh, I understand that, and it has a financial and a compliance program focus. There is overlap, as I mentioned, between compliance and financial issues, and that has to be taken into account with regard to this. The scope and the intensity of the audit should depend upon 
how high the risk is, uh, how proactive this is, or do we have reactive issues in, re- in regard to specific uh, concerns. So we have an audit team, and uh, I'm always happy to invite internal audit to uh, help uh, with the audit, um, uh, although it may not be the same type of focus on uh, financial issues. It's going to be a focus on financial issues that relate to compliance, but uh, there's a, a fair amount of overlap with regard to that. Uh, and we're going to look at compliance program uh, elements as well. So it's important for the compliance team, in my sense, and if, assuming we're looking at the model where they go around, uh, we have a small unit, let's say, that does these. They're going to do these year-round and go from office to office uh, and get to know people and build internal relationships. Um, and so we, uh, it's, import- it's an important process of uh, sort of showing a face for compliance, uh, particularly in global companies where you don't have a local uh, compliance officer. Now, before you go uh, to any location, we plan the audit. What's the purpose? What were the results of the last audit? Are there any specific issues? What's the size and scope of the operation? Is it a country, a region, multiple products? Plan your time and staffing and tasks based on those. But I want to get as much information as I can before we go out to the uh, to the location. So I want to get as much intelligence. I want to look at what's the HR record there? What kind of complaints are we getting? What kind of e, uh, HR issues are we having? Are we doing uh, internal investigations there? Um, what kind of uh, issues are coming up? So I want to know what's the morale like? What's the culture like? Training, attendance, and certifications. Are contracts uh, being uh executed uh, prior to due diligence or in compliance with due diligence requirements. So also build in a little bit of extra time for conducting your own training. I think that's helpful to do. Uh, Or any additional issues discovered during the audit. And create a planning document that has organized steps with regard to the audit and have some flexibility. I also think that it's good while you're there to... uh, almost conduct your own sort of culture survey. And you can do that in advance if you want with a culture survey. And I have a list of culture questions. If anybody's interested, I can send some to you, some samples. Um, but uh, And you can email me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com, and I'm happy to send you some uh, culture questions. We also uh, want to look at... Um, getting uh, as much of the data together before we go there, obviously, and I mentioned that to you, and hopefully uh, some of my, uh, you know, advice uh, with regard to uh, types of data we should be collecting is to report quarterly on culture, uh, report quarterly on uh, compliance with controls, uh, monitor, our, obviously, the employee concerns and incident management and what's going on in that area. Uh, how's the internal investigation function going? What types of violations are we seeing? What sections of the code of conduct violations are we seeing? Um, I want to see what the middle managers or employees, uh, are they carrying the message of the culture of the company? Is it reaching them and are they becoming advocates for it? Uh, And then I want to make sure that we understand what our risk profile is and how our policies being managed in that particular location. 
So one of the areas that I want to sample and look at is uh, contract to invoice to payment processes. Um, So I want to make sure that, for example, services, I want to look at the kinds of services uh, that are being um, uh, invoiced, uh, third parties, are they providing invoices that contain the detail necessary to establish they're providing a service? I want to make sure that that matches the contract amount uh, so we can verify also the services and the right price and uh, that uh, the process is working. Let's say if there's local local participation in that, I want to look at that in terms of the office that I'm going to uh, to see how that's working. I also want to see if the vendor supplier onboarding process is working there as well um, just to make sure that this may be something depending upon how data is stored in your company, you can do in advance from a centralized location and have a list of vendors, have a list uh, and and try to take a look at uh, the services that they're um, uh, securing, whether they're doing it in conformance with um, company procedures. Obviously, we look at uh, the due diligence procedure with regard to third parties to make sure that's being carried out. So, A lot of this, like I said, can be done before you get there. Um, And to me, with an audit plan, you need to coordinate this uh, with the head of the office, whoever it is. Um, I would always have an initial meeting with the head of the office before you start the audit. Uh, confirm, you know, the responsibilities of people, the organizational chart, um, identify persons who are responsible for various functions. You may already have that and may already know that, but just confirm it and say, here's what we're doing. I also would use this as a moment just to say... Uh, conduct even an informal tone at the top interview. Um, What are the risks that you see? Ask the person who's the head of the office. What are the violations that are occurring or reports of concerns? How's morale doing here? What's the business like here? Get uh, as as much as you can in terms of what's going on in the company. Uh, For corruption risks, you want to know about what are the interactions with foreign government officials are like? What are the concerns that are coming up? Uh, I also like to sample a few employees to interview, uh, to talk about this, and from different levels within the company and different functions within the particular office. Um, And if you can, try to do a focus group if you're there uh, amongst uh, various people as part of this process. So like I said, we also look at uh, third-party due diligence. We bring a list of the third-party intermediaries who've been approved. We try to match that up with uh, any local records, but we also examine how, and we there may be a few that are we think are high risk, and we want to get more background and double check how were these people identified, make sure the paperwork that was submitted or the process that went through was done in accordance with and was accurate. It was done in accordance with the uh, protocol that's already set up, the control, and make sure that it was done uh, accurately with regard to the representations. And you can you don't have to do a lot of these. Again, these are kind of sample things. And we make sure that the contracts have the required provisions. Uh, and whenever, if you have a lot, a big number for anything here, I'm not asking you to go through all the big numbers, always use samples. That's always my way of getting out of uh, tasks that look bad. Uh, or look like they're burdensome, or they're huge with the numbers that we're talking about, um, you always use sampling. 
Same goes for customers and vendors. I want to review the customer and vendor interactions uh, and make sure that we're uh, screening people uh, in accordance with the uh, sanction lists and our sanctions policy to make sure that uh, we are uh, careful about uh, compliance with, let's say, OFAC, uh, if we have export licenses that we have uh, that we're meeting the requirements for storage and conditions of export licenses. Um, so we also want to make sure we identify any state-owned enterprises or government uh, providers of uh, services as well and focus on those interactions. And here's where we get into some of the issues related to um, finance, which I think are totally appropriate for compliance to do. Uh, we look at a sample of contracts. Um, we also would sample some uh, payment amounts. Uh, do we have third-party payment issues? Uh, review the payment procedures for invoices and who's responsible for that. How are the payments authorized? Are there uh, any unusual payments? Um, and then I want to uh, make sure that we dig into these uh, anymore in terms of unusual payments to uh, try to get the documentation even. Um, and I would sample any agency and consulting contracts uh, and review the payment arrangements uh, for that as well. And remember, always we look for payment red flags, and those include an absence of documentation, suspicious purchase items under description, suspicious payees, relatives of employees or state officials, payments without invoices or contracts, payments that are large in comparison to a service or product uh, supposedly provided, um, see if the bank account uh, that was used for a transaction matched uh, the setup uh, bank account uh, as well. Um, you also want to uh, uh, make sure it's all completed by, by the authorized employee and make sure you don't have any multiple receipts uh, or authorizations prepared on multiple days in the same handwriting, suggesting that the documentation was all prepared in one day. We've come across that, uh, particularly in India uh, on occasion. In addition, in terms of the non-material transactions, we should also look at disbursements for uh, compliance with the accounting and finance controls, any unusual expenses, cash payments that are made should be closely scrutinized. Uh, if there is a petty cash fund, I also try to look at that to see the documentation. Again, sample some of those transactions uh, and look for any unusual patterns or expenses um, and uh, any, any sort of uh, cash type uh, issues as well. Also, uh, as part of the compliance review, are people following the gifts, travel, and entertainment policies um, and try to make sure we pull a sample of those uh, and find out a little bit more. Um, if there are any unusual in expenses, we interview the employee, um, and the forms and payments should be reviewed to determine if the, co uh, if the company's policies and procedures were uh, followed. Similarly, we look at the training program and whether people uh, are com uh, complying with the tra training requirements to ensure that, that the office or that location 
is using current versions of training slides and programs. It may be that they're part of a global system and that they are, um, that uh, foreign languages are needed. Are all employees participating in the training? If they haven't, find out why uh, some have not and whether certifications have been completed. And as part of your interview process, try to uh, find out what people think about the uh, the training pro- program. Is it helpful? Are they learning anything? What, what do they think of it? Remember, it's always good to... Uh, have uh, targeted training and uh, training and certifications. You want to look in a particular office and make sure that the responsible people or the relevant control people, which is the term, accounts payable, third-party due diligence responsibility, those that do internal investigations, um, are now uh, getting the proper training. So we want to make sure that the right people are being uh, targeted for uh, relevant control people uh, training. And that's the new sort of standard. And how are we measuring the effectiveness of this uh, training as well? If uh, we also look for charitable gifts, uh, if there is, uh, if there are any uh, uh, charitable gifts that were given from a particular office. Uh, we determine whether the due diligence policies were followed for the charitable gifts and examine any supporting documentation and interview employees if necessary uh, with regard to that. Same goes for relatives of foreign officials who may have worked there uh, and may have worked in that office is to make sure that you uh, as well take a look at that issue because it's such a hot Uh, button issue. When you look at the financial process, you want to look for segregation of duty conflicts to make sure that payments are being uh, done and find out what the process is for for expenses, accounts, and uh, whether or not uh, those are being followed, or as well to make sure that there are no conflicts with regard to that uh, in terms of one person holding uh, over several Uh, several parts of the system. Um, We also look at employee reporting, how that's working, escalation process, um, and I want to make sure that we dig into this a little bit, ensure that whistleblower policies are followed, any complaints, um, and let's make sure that complaints are being handled uh, appropriately and that there is an escalation policy for supervisors, compliance, and management reporting. This is where you can see a breakdown in a particular office um, is uh, when these types of escalation processes are not working or there's some uh, unhappiness uh, with regard to specific issues. We're always trying to get at organizational justice. That's our goal, a justice system that is fair and consistent, um, that we're resolving routine investigations, 60 to 90 days, and hopefully incidents within a shorter time period. Uh, and we're making sure that people feel that they're getting their voice heard. We also uh, want to look at, are they getting at incident management, which is something short of an internal investigation, and getting the uh, incident response done um, in a prompt way and uh, getting them uh, resolved. The other, at the conclusion of the audit, after you've planned it out, after you've conducted it, uh, at the conclusion of the audit, we may meet with the head of the office to report on some of the results, identify some issues of concerns, any issues for follow-up requests, and then set firm deadlines for completion of follow-ups, and then begin to support and collaborate to remediate issues. Um, And here, 
uh, audit findings have to be um, just like internal audit findings. Um, I uh, too often see compliance people go in and they just give suggestions. I think it has to be, to lend credibility to this, you have to have um, uh, to the function, the compliance audits have to have the same authority to uh, come up with a remediation plan and then hold people accountable for that. And the office or whoever you've done the audit for has to be able to uh, be held accountable for implementing whatever the remediation is. Uh, and you want to make sure that this is um, obviously communicated, handled in very similar analogous way uh, like an internal audit uh, review with a remediation plan and then being held uh, accountable for for that as well. And you want to make sure that all of this happens um, and like I said, with, with credibility is reported to the uh, audit committee uh, just like an internal audit uh, type of uh, deficiency is noted in the same way that the compliance uh, gets sort of equal billing with regard to this program. Well, I know I went on a little bit here, and I apologize for how long this was, but there's a lot to cover, and I, there were things that I really just went uh, over uh, briefly. But if you do want any more um, guidance in this area or help in this area, we're happy to help. We work with a lot of companies in terms of building out these types of programs. Uh, please feel free to contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bullcufflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.